0: This is November 1994. Next spring we will be at the time 50 years after the liberation of the concentration camps during World War II and that period of time called the Holocaust. We have still with us, fortunately, men who served the United States Army and who were the liberators of some of the camps. This is Mr. Dal Cooper, from Dayton, Ohio, who I will speak to today about his experiences at that time. Mr. Cooper, you were a Daytonian by birth, and when were you born, and when did you join the the service?
1: Yes, I am from Dayton, born on First Street here in Dayton, Ohio, and I've lived in this area all my life. I'm 71 right now. Uh, I joined the service in uh, January 1943 in an anti-aircraft outfit. I joined up at Columbus, Ohio, went through the draft boards here in Dayton as a volunteer. I have a V in front of my number. And I was sent to Columbus, Fort Hayes, and then from there up to uh, above Chicago at uh, uh, Fort Sheridan, which I think is closed now, uh, in an anti-aircraft outfit. And then from there, I took a couple of years training with the anti-aircraft and uh, all over the country, maneuvers out in Oregon and and California. And then uh, in December of 1944, uh, they pulled a lot of us out. I always said they pulled the healthy ones out. I don't know how healthy I was, but they pulled us out and sent us uh, to several different units. And I happened to be sent to the infantry at Camp Van Dorn, Mississippi, and from there over to uh, Camp Swift, Texas, as an infantry uh, replacement or trainee.
0: And you still have your uniform and and your be- your medals from that period of time.
1: Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, the uniform uh, I have is uh, and the second one I got. Really, the the first one would be uh, the a blouse. This was the Eisenhower uh, jacket here, and on it is the uh, the accoutrements of my rank that I ended up with as sergeant. I was a PFC, I thought I was going to become a professional, and I went and asked for a raise one time, and they made me a sergeant, believe it or not. Anyway, that uh, uniform, the blouse itself, was tailored by a a German prisoner of war. I was so small that he tailored it down to me, cut the lapels and so forth down. Next to it is a field jacket, and next to it is uh, the shirt uh, of that period of time. In it is markings was to designate me the little star, because there's several people had their laundry done by the Germans after the war. And you had to know whose clothes was which, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no great medals, as, as I say, it just uh, who you were with and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, one little unique thing about it I would like to point out is inside the jackets, both those jackets, is the uh, a little holster I had. They disarmed us pretty much after the war, because they didn't know what we would do and I always carried a 25 automatic. I said they'll never disarm me. Uh, I had a right to protect myself.
0: And um, at what point did you go overseas and... and
1: I was uh, late, thank God. I was late, I went over, uh, left the middle of March, 1945, and I was up with my outfit in the first part of April of 45. And like I tell, about uh, just past Frankfurt, almost to Fulda, and I told everybody I saw all I wanted to see and more in what little time I was there. As an infantry replacement, you're on the front all the time, uh, except you do leapfrog, regiments do. Right.
0: So So you saw a lot of wounded and dying men, too? Uh,
1: I saw uh, uh, wounded. I didn't see too many dying. I'll frankly tell you, I didn't want to go look at our own men dead. I was afraid I would become afraid if I started seeing too many of our own people. But uh, a little later, I'll tell you, a little later as we talk, uh, I saw what I wanted to see a little bit later.
0: Right. And then, at, at what point did you did you had you heard anything about camps where people were being
1: concentration concentration camp? oh, yes, camps? Ma'am. You had uh, yes, ma'am. I fully believe that we knew more than most of the Germans. See, it was handled by the SS, mm-hmm. uh, special outfit uh, of the Germans, and I think that we men knew more, and women, Americans, about the concentration camps than the Germans. Now, they knew about concentration camps because their own people, maybe their neighbor, but they, they really, in my opinion, didn't know all that much about the death camps. If you knew too much over there, you know, they'd kill you.
0: So, tell us how, how you got to that day and that point.
1: As I said, we were moving fast. The Germans were pretty well whipped uh, by the time I got over there, and like I say, thank God. But uh, we were moving very rapidly. Uh, As an example, I I picked up that uh, Hitler book over there, and uh, I picked, uh, which is not original, I picked up that Nazi flag. Uh, As we went along, we never stole anything. It was always liberated. And then we uh, we were headed right into Czechoslovakia with the Third Army, and then they shoved us uh, south, or east, or whatever you would call it, into Austria. And as we, I think we went across in Austria on a dam, and we stayed, you want me to go right into uh, a Tell we, we stayed, uh, I stayed in the neatest, cleanest little apartment you ever saw. You know, we didn't stay outside. We were in infantry, but uh, at that stage of the game, moving, we threw the Germans out if they were any there. They, usually, they would disappear, and we would just have access to the house, and we would try to get in and get fresh food because we were eating Russians all the time, and uh, we, uh, stayed in uh, Lombach, Austria, and of course it didn't mean anything to me, you know, the names. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I went down uh, the next morning, uh, like I say, the cleanest, neatest little apartment ever, so I went down the next morning to the railroad station, and like I say, we had just come into town, and my captain was there. They had our field kitchen set up in the railroad station, and they had hot water where you could make some coffee, and I stepped through the little narrow uh, railroad station and just as I stepped through, I saw something to my right and I looked down and here was a, uh, I guess, a 13 or 15-year-old boy in a striped, like, pajama suit and, of course, we had heard some of this kind of stuff, you know, and uh, he was scratching himself and all this and, and I thought, my goodness, so I stepped back in at the station, and I said to the captain, who, by the way, I still see now and then, Captain Swope from uh, Alabama. Uh, I said, sir, what is that out there? And he says, Coop, he says, there's a concentration camp about five clicks down the road. Mm-hmm. He said, there's gonna be a truck come up here after a while, he said, would you uh, help? Now, this is my captain, I'm a PFC, you know? right. But this is the way we talk to each other. He said, would you help break open one of the, we said, we captured that train out there, would you break, help break open the car and take a load down of food? I said, yes, sir, the captain is talking. So uh, the truck came and we broke open the car and we loaded it with food. And uh, from there on, uh, I'll, uh, I started down the road with uh, there three enlisted people in the back, uh, including me, and one enlisted driver and a major who had gone along. And we started seeing people just out along the road as we went away. Th- quite a ways away from railroad station, and this all just junky and this and that, you know, and then we started smelling something, and I was raised around here, and this is farm country, as you know, and I never smelled anything like this in my life or since, and I told uh, someone earlier that uh, after 40-some years of contemplation, the odor of evil is the only thing I can tell you, because I— you know, rotting bodies and all this, we—we— It wasn't like anything
0: you ever— Never had I
1: ever smelled anything like that. And I'm sure anyone who was near one of those places, uh, as a fresh individual, would tell you the same thing— that odor—you never would forget it. So, uh, I—we went in and—and, uh, turned off the road and went in, and—and it was unbelievable what we were getting, and it was a rainy, about like we have outside, a little bit rainy and misty, and, uh, uh we started seeing bodies laying all over, and just n- no meat on them. You know, that's flesh, I know, but no meat. I'll put it in quite yeah. basic vernacular. And, uh, they started crowding around us at the truck, and we actually became apprehensive that they were going to overwhelm us. Uh, they were just almost beyond reasoning, and they knew we were Americans, and, uh, I would, I, the next morning, I'll just go on the, if you- Do you remember right the
0: date of that yes, first ma'am. day? Yes ma'am.
1: It was the 5th of May 1945, because here's a letter that I wrote to Joanne, my wife, who had just married for when I was on the 6th of May 1945. This letter is in a museum, the Center for Holocaust Studies in, in Brooklyn, and, uh, the mess kit I wrote it on is there, the boots I wore in the camp, the little yellow cloth Jewish star that one of the inmates gave me is also uh, there. Yeah. And, uh, of course I have some of this other stuff. Someone will end up with it someday. Whoever doesn't do me any good anymore, you know. And, uh, anyway, uh, it was a, a shock. I was twenty-one years old, and, uh, like I say, we had heard about these places and so forth, but never dreaming. Now, I, during the war, uh, previously, had uh, we had gone through what we I called a slave labor place, now there is a heck of a difference, and I never will forget. These people came boiling out of this enclosure, and I was on a truck, and one fellow had cut his arm, obviously had cut an artery too, because it was spurting blood, and he was so happy, waving his arms, you know, and so forth. And uh, we were ducking the blood; we didn't want, you know, we wanted to stay halfway clean, but uh, they were in pretty good health. These people I'm talking about, they were Hungarian Jews, uh,
0: Hungarian, they, Jews.
1: Hungarian Jews is what uh, some of the inmates who spoke English, uh, I'll, I'll read this in just a second, right. uh, and there was no mistaking what they were saying and what we were saying to them, because we were understanding fully what we were all saying. The human excrement was all over and uh, the bodies laying around, and uh, this was a, a satellite uh, the name of the place was Gunskirchen, uh, a satellite of Mauthausen, and uh, which was now on down a little bit farther. Uh, I don't know whether the Russians or us actually captured that. Now, it so happened this was my last move forward of the war because the Russians were just down the road, and what we did back in those days, you pulled up and stopped. Of course, I'm a PFC. I don't know this at the time. You, know? sure. you pull up and stop so you don't start shooting each other uh, through, through mistake and it was my last move of the war, and ma'am, it was a long day. I got up the next morning, I came out of the haymow, and I wrote this letter to my wife, if if I may read it, please. Uh, The original uh, copy, or a copy of the original is over there. Joanne typed this. I can't even read my own handwriting, uh, even today, but anyway, uh, that that copy is up the original
0: Where did letter. you write this, like back when you went back to your unit? you were
1: uh, When I finally was able to join my unit that night, mm-hmm. remember I was separated from them. I was right. given a job to do by the captain. Uh, it was about 9.30 when I finally caught up with and my unit. And you thought
0: you had to? The next the morning.
1: Th- the very next morning right. when I got up, uh, I you thought— You had
0: to get those feelings Oh, my down. God.
1: I thought—I I said, you know, uh, will I ever remember these details, Thank never God. dreaming that 50 years later I could sit here with you right now and without even reading this pretty well tell you. So this uh, is what I said to her, uh, basically about 10 or 11 pages long so I won't go into all that. Yesterday I went to a concentration camp. From what I saw with my own eyes, everything I heard about these places is absolutely true. Here is how I happen to be there and a little about it. The report came to us of this concentration camp being five kilometers down the road. It happened that we captured a whole German supply train the night before. So four of us loaded up a truck with food and took it down. I'm gonna tell you now, I never wanna see a sight again as we saw when we pulled in there. 14,000, and in the letter, by the way, I said 1,400, 14,000 starving, diseased, stinking people. It was terrible. I'm 21 writing this. Most of them were Jews that Hitler had put away for safekeeping. Some of them had been in camps for as long as eight years. So help me, I don't see how they stood it. No longer were most of them people. They were nothing but things that were once human beings. As we pulled off of the highway into the camp, we had to shove them off of the truck. And I almost feel ashamed in saying this, but I told you, we we were so afraid they were going to overwhelm us. They were so glad to see us. We had the first food that had been taken in there for a month. Now, this was not an old place, Gunskirchen. It was a satellite, like I say, from Mauthausen. Mauthausen was where they had the ovens, I guess, and everything. The people, for the most part, were dirty, walking skeletons. Some were too weak to walk. They had had nothing to eat for so long. Some of them were still laying around dead where they had fallen. Others would fall, fall over dead as they tried to keep up with the truck. We were moving slow as we didn't want to run over anyone. We stopped to start unload, that's real English, to start to unload the the food and we really had a time. We tried and tried to keep them from crowding us so we could unload, but they were just about beyond reasoning. Finally about four of them who spoke English started getting a little order for us. Even then we had to get off the truck and start shoving them out of the road. You could stand right in front of them and wave your arms for them to move over, and they would just stand there, look right in your face, and cry like a baby. It was a really a pathetic scene. Finally, we took out our guns and pointed them in their faces. And that over oh, there is one of them I took out, and we knew we weren't going to do anything right. with the guns, but you know, uh, they were, uh, fi- uh, but they still stood there and bawled. They were past being afraid of even a gun. We fired a few shots up in the air and still we couldn't clear them. They just wouldn't believe that we had food for everyone. We pulled on further back into the camp after about a half an hour and the fellows who spoke English started getting some order. By the way, I asked a couple of those, I said, why are you people in such good condition compared to the other ones? I was a little suspicious they might be a guard, you know, or something. And uh, they just said that they were able to, uh, to get out and work a little on the farms, I guess before they were sent the camp, I don't know. Then we started to unload. We, t- we picked out about 15 to help us. How those skinny fellows ever lifted those boxes is beyond me. They were heavy for us to lift, but they got them off. While we were standing outside the truck, a number of them came up and touched us. I want to show you how that happened, as if they couldn't believe we were actually there. Some of them would try to kiss us even. And then as a little aside, I said they must have been bad off, you know, trying to make it as light as I could. Uh, but they would come up and I have to demonstrate this (laughs) because we're not used to this, you know, we're no big stars or anything. Come up panty.
0: Really. Like to see if they really else. Yeah.
1: And that flag is what we represented.
0: That's right.
1: Some of them would come up, grab you around the neck, and cry on your shoulders. Others would just look and cry. Some of them would throw their hands up in the air and pray. They were mostly the ones who were too weak to stand. I remember one old man sitting on a big boulder or something, and his legs here were about the size of my wrist, and he just like this. And uh, you never forget, I never knew, I didn't remember anything like this, you know. I recall one woman who can only cry and point at her mouth. And one of the reasons I do that, she, she was dark. My mother was dark, like you are, and she kind of, this lady kind of had uh, some of the facial features, and, and that tore me up, you know. <clears throat> one fellow must have felt that he should give me something, as he had nothing of value. He gave me his little yellow star that designates a Jew. And that's in, uh, up in Brooklyn, uh, I gave it to him. I hope it still has the smudges on it and so forth. I'll send it to you in another letter. All of them wanted American cigarettes. Now, on the way down, we'd thrown away. You know, you always stuff your pockets with your ration. We had thrown away and given away, and then we started having them so they could have a puff. I had given all but four of mine away on the the road coming to the camp, so I have the four so I, I had so at least eight of them could get a few puffs. Everybody wanted American cigarettes, by the way. Finally, everything was unloaded. And by the way, they wanted water, some of them, worse than food. And that's where I really learned the value of a drink of water, even though I'd put in time on the desert and everything. But you can hardly uh, stand, and you want a drink of water, you know, uh, before we gave them food. As uh, uh, Finally, everything was unloaded. As the Major went with us, couldn't get much order, he left everything up to we four enlisted men. The Major, he might have been Jewish. He was torn up. He was really torn up. I felt sorry for him. I estimated we had 2,400 cans of chow aboard, so I explained to one of the fellows to put two persons to a can. I might have killed some there, I don't know, that was an awful lot of food, uh, even for one man. You see the conditions these people were in, too much food all at once would probably have killed them, but we tried to rationalize, you know, it was only a kid. The cans were about the size of a regular can of peaches, so that was plenty for a starter. Someone I didn't know who had slipped 500 eggs aboard. I took one of the guys and told him to start with the children and give them one egg apiece, and if had any left, to give them to the women. The men, if you could call them that, I only I don't say that in that documentary. They were were sticks standing there. uh, Could eat the meat. He told us people were dying at an average rate of 150 per day at this camp. They just stacked them up in a pile if they died in the barracks. If they died outside, they left them there. I know, I saw them. Now, I did not go in the barracks. Uh, They uh, just, I didn't have time. There were four barracks for 14,000 people. Room space was one yard per person, just enough room to sit down. There were two latrines for 14,000. And you, if you have dysentery, you can't make it to a latrine. You're gonna, like those, uh, everybody will tell you, you know, it's all over the place. That was part of the stench, obviously. Some of them were too weak to go to the latrines, so the Bergs had to do. What a mess. There was human refuse every place. I had enough on my boots to be a walking sewer pipe. On top of this, they had no water. They had to stay off the roads and so forth, you know. There was another th- That was another thing we had to tell them. Stay off the roads, please. We're st- we didn't know this was our last move of the war, and I told them, you're liable to get us killed if our supplies can't get to us. Those that could walk, wanted to travel, and you can imagine how that would have been with them on the roads with us. The young people who are at this camp will probably never get over it. They will be stunted for life. Now this is a conjecture on my part. Obviously, as a 21-year-old, right. I don't know how they are today. You may see pictures of this back home as they put a call through for photographers. Don't know whether they went or not. As after we left, we didn't go back. Instead, we got a better idea. Our truck of food in there uh, when the tracks ran close by and we had a whole train of supplies? also an engine with steam up, and an Austrian engineer. So I moved the whole darn, I said damned in the letter, I think, uh, train load down close to the camp. Enough food and other articles, to last them until they were strong enough to go on their way. Later in the day, that pistol over there uh, has significance uh, after we left this place. Uh, riding, I was riding in a jeep with some people. I didn't know who they were. Remember, I was separated, man, from my outfit. Right. The captain gave me a job to do, and you did it in those days. The best you knew how. Uh, later in the day, we stopped at a farmhouse. See, we ate as much as we could uh, off of the people over there if we could, because rations would get mighty old uh, after mm-hmm. a while. Uh, we stopped in a farmhouse, and uh, I think there's a couple other fellows, myself, in this Jeep. And of course, no top on it, and the roads were muddy, and just nothing but a walking <laughs> mud pile. And uh, we went in the place, and there was a French DP. That's displaced person. A lot of people don't know that. And he, I can't speak French and uh, have a hard time enough with English. But anyway, he came up to me and grabbed my sleeve, and he said, uh, SS. And he held up two fingers. Now, SS, as we knew them, were the bad boys, because we knew they were the ones that, uh, that that were the shock troops and this and that and so forth. And I said to these, I said, oh, Lord, I said, this man says there's SS out here, two of them. I'll go with him. So I got a pistol over there, pulled out, and uh, I had two of them. Pulled two of them out, and as I stepped out the back door, here's the German soldiers washing their feet. So uh, my God! And I jumped back in. I said, "Hey, there's Germans outside the door." So we made them put their boots on and uh, and so forth. And these guys them, And I went with this French DP out into the uh, towards the barn and so forth, and. Uh, we peeked around the corner, and here was a fellow standing. He was bare from the waist up, young fellow, probably not much older than me. He had on civilian trousers. And the French DP said, SS. So I took that pistol and another one, which I no longer have, and I put them behind me like this. And uh, I walked out towards him, and he kept looking at me just like you are looking at me. And uh, you know, you, I can tell you in the basic language I use, or smooth it over a little, but I walked up to him, and uh, I said in German to him, pretty bad German, Georgia Soldat. Mm-hmm. And he kept looking at me and never said anything. And uh, I stepped up to him, whipped that pistol out, and put it right on him like this, and I said, you're a blankety-blank SS man, and I started to squeeze the trigger to kill him. And I'm thinking in my head, you SOB, raise your arm. That day, I found out the difference between murder and killing. I could kill you if I had to, but I can't murder you even today. And that would have been sheer murder. So uh, one of our guys stepped back and said, shoot DSOB, Cooper. And I stepped back and I said, you shoot him. Mm -hmm. Well, he couldn't either. Because we we do try to to play fair most of the time. Anyway, I went like this to him to drop his trousers. And underneath the civilian trousers was the dark SS uniform. So I knew had I shot him, I was really shooting an SS man. So we took him with us. And I say, you know that SS man I captured later in there, never came so near to dying in his life. I pointed my pistol right against his heart, but I just couldn't shoot him down in cold blood. Uh, Some of the kids asked me you ever kill anybody, and I said, well, I think so. And I said, at least one. But I never murdered anybody in my life, and I hope I never do. I lost my nerve when I started squeezing the trigger. Too much like murder. Then I said to her that, and this I mean as much today or more as I did back then. There are two things about all this I want to tell you. I never again want to see anything like this happen to anyone. I wish 130 million Americans could have been standing in my shoes that entire day. It was a long, long day. And, uh, like I say, I never dreamed I'd be sitting here 50 years later and be able to speak to someone like this. And, uh, Joanne, like I say, we had just— we, I'd had a five-day delay in route, and we had just gotten married, and here she is, getting all this, probably wondering, my God, what's he up to, you know? But it was our last move of the war, it happened to be. And, uh, then I went back with the Army occupation into Germany, I was there and I came home a year later, 30th of April when I finally got home, 1946. And we, by the way, that 71st Infantry Division, uh, we were alerted to go to Japan. And uh, thank God for Harry Truman, and I don't mean to be despairing to the Japanese people or anyone. And by the way, I have the highest uh, respect for the German soldier. Uh, There was, he really did his job. There wasn't any doubt about it, but the SS, you'll never hear me say anything good about them. So
0: you don't know after that day what happened, that was the day that you were involved directly?
1: Yes, I do, yes. I know what uh, was involved. In fact, I know one of the people that stayed. We had a medic, uh, Doc Eccleson, and he lives in California right now. He became a medical doctor, by the way, and uh, I have seen him, I guess, at one of our 71st century reunions, but he stayed for quite a while to help. uh, help, uh, I was—we were troops moving up, sure. and the medics, thank God we had them, by the way, uh, really were one tremendous help.
0: How did that, that one day, that long day, affect you in all these years? You obviously have never forgotten that moment.
1: Somebody asked me that question once, said, well, didn't that affect you? You know, I had never thought about it in that uh, light. Naturally, it, uh, I guess, it affects, but you still have to steer a steady course if you right. have any sense, you know. You can't be vindictive and all this, and I guess nobody ever wants to fool with that flag. Not while I'm around, because if they were nine feet tall, I'd tear right into them. I can't—couldn't stand that. And another thing, and uh, four years ago, I went to China with a tour group. We were supposed to go five years ago when they had the Tiananmen Square, and I'll apologize to the Chinese government now for what I'm about to say, if it hurts them in any way. But I took some dirt from my vegetable garden right over here in Beaver Creek, a couple of miles from where we're sitting, and I sterilized it in case I was caught. I didn't want to get, uh, okay. you know, uh, the uh,
0: trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah, in trouble. So uh, uh, we were having Peking duck in Beijing, and I excused myself from the table and went down on Tiananmen Square. And I spread the dirt. I took a hundred nineteen ninety Lincoln pennies liberty and God we trust and so forth. Just innocuous little things you know that makes me feel better after experiencing something like this.
0: So it has affected you. I mean here you're a very humane person and you saw real inhumanity hmm. that you can't explain. It was
1: under- insanity along with inhumanity without a doubt. No I we don't you have to steer a steady course. You'd have to be real, like I brought that weapon in here. Within the last month, there's been a lot of shootings around at schools. Right. Well, I certainly, I've had that 50 year, and I don't, hopefully, never have to use it with anyone. Right. Now, you think about it and uh, uh, from time to time, but when you first came home, uh, you had uh, the career to get started, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so you, you didn't have time to think about things like that then, and I honestly think, that we knew more about those places than the Germans themselves, than most of the Germans, you know, other than the ones directly involved. Involved. Because if they asked too much, they went in the concentration camps themselves. Mm. They knew about concentration camps, but the death camps. I was in Auschwitz uh, a couple years ago, and uh, in fact, I have a rock back there I picked right. up over there. And uh, there's not much left in it either. You know. Well, the,
0: the American people thank you and all the soldiers that have. Gone into the camps as liberators, and uh, we we record these stories so that people will remember and it won't happen again. I hope not. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm.